This podcast is sponsored by Blacker Yarns. Blacker Yarns produce a diverse range of breed-specific knitting and crochet yarn. With everything from Shetland and Blueface Leicester through to Wensleydale, Gotland and Teeswater, you'll be sure to find an unexpected treat. If you are thinking of exploring breed-specific yarns for the first time or buying a few balls of a breed local to your area, then head over to www.blackeryarns.co.uk. All of Blacker's wares are spun and dyed on their mill in Cornwall using 100% British fibre and sustainable production methods. And Blacker's 10th anniversary is this September. Happy anniversary, Blacker! And you can find a discount for Pom Pom Quarterly readers. The details are in the ad artwork from issue 14. So thank you, Blacker! Hello! Hi and welcome to POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Quarterly Magazine. I'm Sophie Scott and yours in knitting is, you know her name, Lydia Gluck. Hi Sophie. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Good. Do you like knitting? I'm going to say yes. Do you want to talk about it sometime? Yes. In the same room, same time, same place? Yes! Well, that's this. what this podcast is! Oh! Oh, that's so convenient. So yes, this is a nice knitting podcast where we talk about the woolly world uh, we're involved in. Mainly mm-hmm. Pom Pom magazine and mm-hmm. uh, lots of other fun stuff in between that you might like to listen to while you're knitting, yeah. while you're walking. While, while you're, you're talking? No, that's no, confusing. No, it doesn't really work. Anyway, we're going to ra- start this off with a top tip. This is a straight into the knitting factoids. Mm-hmm. The needle tip. You're the, hey, hey. Yes. <laughs> More puns coming up. <laughs> Um, so, when using washi tape, you know about washi tape, right? Wait, we just, we better make sure that everyone's on the same page as us with washi tape. Tell us about washi tape, then. Washi tape will change your life. Washi tape was sent from heaven. No, washi tape is, um, a paper tape, Japanese paper tape. It's, uh, akin. It's sort of like masking tape's Mm -hmm. cooler, more fashionable younger sister. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. And it comes in, like, fun colours and patterns and... Do you have any particularly cool patterned ones? I have one which is like a galaxy, kind of like nebulas, like really interesting <gasps> stars. Which I haven't actually used yet because it's so beautiful. Too pretty. I have a Moomin one. There we go. Which is really great. And uh, it, I feel like washi tape, like I feel about it the same way I feel about nail varnish. Mm-hmm. You just never have enough. There are always colours you don't have and you are always going to use it. Well, there we go. And it's very useful. So now you're established with washi tape. Mm-hmm. What it's very useful for is using in charts. Yes. Say you're working from a lace chart. You're doing some cables. Maybe you're doing some colour work. I don't know. Whatever you fancy. <laughs> you can use your washi tape to mark where you are on the, on which line. Like, underline it. It's like, hey, don't underline it. Here's don't the top tip. Don't underline it? You should put it above the line you're working on. I don't understand. Because <laughs> when you're knitting, obviously the chart is representative of your knitting. Yes. So, you if you put it underneath... You're obscuring the pattern. If yes. you put it above, you can see the pattern as it's happening in your knitting. So as you work, you're knitting, it's reflected in the chart. So it keeps okay. you more on track where you are with your knitting. I see. So if you so you put the washi tape above it, then you get to see the stitches that you've just worked and exactly. make sure that your stitches are still lining up in the way that they should and things like this. Which is all the magic of what using charts. So there you go. So that was a top needle tip for all of you out there. And um, if you guys have any other tips that you would like to tell us about, because, you know, we always definitely le- don't always know learning. all the things. Always learning, every day, a new um, thing. Um, so, yeah, you can send them to us or tell us about them in the Ravelry group, the Pom Pom Podcast Ravelry group. Our email address is podcast at pompommag.com if you want to email us. We like it when people email us. Very nice. We're not going to lie. Gets me, I'm very excited when I open the email box and it's not uh, spam. <laughs> Viagra. <laughs> Anyway, that's a... <laughs> that's a little aside. Um, yeah, so next up we have... What do we have, Sophie? We have Tell and Tell, which is where we tell each other and you guys what we've been knitting. So, what have you been up to and what have you been knitting? Well, I can tell you... I mean, anybody who has listened to the last few episodes of this podcast will probably know that I was working on a Garland jumper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garland was a pattern in Pom Pom Issue 7, which was now two years Vintage ago. pom-pom. Vintage pom-pom. Catching up on all those nets. Oh, yeah. You know, it takes me a while to get round to them because, you see, I want to make everything in pom-pom quarterly. True. It's a good um, selection of knitting, so, I, you know, I'd hope so. I'd like to think so. And, uh, yeah, so I've made it in... Um, and I finished it, is the big newsflash. Uh, I finished my garland. Uh, I made it in the Shibui Silk Cloud in the colour raspberry. Guess what colour it is? Is it like a raspberry colour? <laughs> yes. 
But not blue, like a slushy raspberry. No. Because, of course, logically, slushies are blue if they're raspberry-flavoured. Yes. But um, illogically, yeah. the yarn is pink. Of course. It's a sort of lovely yes. deep pink. Um, and I must say that I've been wearing it a lot. Mm-hmm. And one of my favourite things about it, apart from the fact that it looks really cool, <laughs> makes me, Obviously. by proximity, look really cool, um, is that because it's, like, mohair and, like, really fine uh, kind of fabric, it just squishes down, like, if I need to put it in my bag, say, I'm going out, I'm not really sure, you know, this autumnal weather. Usually we start the podcast by talking yeah. about weather. It's a little so, bit whoa, it's a little yeah. bit way, it's a little bit like you leave in the morning and you're like, what's the weather going to be like? You don't really know. So, what you do, if you're me is you put your garland jumper in your bag. Might need that later. It's really small and it makes your bag feel like a Mary Poppins carpet bag because it just squishes down. It's so tiny. It's like your bag is like endlessly... And the size isn't proportional to warmth because it squishes down very small. Yeah. But the mo- amount of warmth is very large, I assume. Mohair, exactly. All the trapping of the air. Mohair, more warm. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, that's so good news. That is good news. And in addition to that very good news, I have been knitting an oak crest hat, which is from Pom Pom Issue 14, which is our most recent autumn issue. And I've been making that in some plucky knitter. Nice. And that's going pretty well. And I'm also just about to start a new project. If you finish the project, you can just start the project. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I'm planning to make a Maud jumper, which is a pattern again from Pom Pom Quarterly Issue 14. Um, and it's like a very cabled jumper and textured sleeves there's a lot happening um and i'm very excited about it i think it'll be really warm i'm making it in the same yarn that we used uh, for the original sample which is the midwinter yarns but i'm making mine in a lovely kind of deep red nice um and one of the main re- i mean mostly i'm just excited about making a lovely jumper well, there you go. but I, I feel there'll be an additional bonus which is that when people find out that i'm a knitter people who aren't knitters i think they imagine me wearing a cable, you know, making cable jumpers. Like, that's right. the kind of yeah. go-to for people. Classic look. Yeah. yeah, classic knitting look. And I'm really excited about making a jumper that will be the thing that people imagine when they imagine things that I make. The optimal knitter Yeah, like the epitome. Jumper. Right, yes, of, that's a good word. Yes, yeah, the epitome of knitted jumper and therefore knitters. So um, I'm very excited about that. I'll be swatching away in the next few days. That is exciting. Yes, and tell me about you, Sophie. I'm also excited because I've finished a thing as well what? well i have like one side of a button band to do it's the case cardi which i've been knitting which is by knitbot and quinsico owl which is a beautiful yarn and yeah finishing things is as important as starting things i think so i feel i'm in a good zone getting that done because mm-hmm. i think a lot of the time i do knitting on the go and kind of like doing bits on public transport mm-hmm. or while i'm going places or while i'm talking to people so you need something that's kind of quite easy you can get in the flow of you don't have to be like hang on i just need to check this chart like yeah. intimately for a bit mm-hmm. intimately checking my chart <laughs> is there any other way to yeah. check <laughs> so i think i got to sit down properly and think about button bands and sort mm-hmm. that out also finishing my susu and there's been a long saga of the susu of the people susu saga listening. oh susu saga nearly at the end and I focused and I did grafting of the front to the back the shoulder seams are all mm-hmm. they're quite large kind of almost mm. drop shoulders yeah so I grafted um the front to the back mm-hmm. sat down with several episodes of the IT crowd I've forgotten what a gem quality that TV. is very funny the countdown episode in particular is one of my favorites it's classic it is. so check that out if you haven't that's another thing that's another part of the podcast, which is Netflix, but we'll get that to that later. <laughs> so, yeah, um, feeling in a good zone with that. So, because yeah. I finished my case card, mm-hmm. and uh, the top of it is like a little yoked lice detail. So, there's one of the colours which I use like 1 2% of it. It's mm-hmm. like such a tiny little amount. So, I have a lot of yarn to do mm-hmm. something else with. So, I'm going to use that with the uh, to make the Carousalum hat. Oh, the also pony hat. To, yeah, the magical pony hat. <laughs> Ever since I saw it, I saw it, I was like, I'm going to make those tiny stocky horses in a hat. <laughs> I love it so. So I've gone with that as uh, it's, the colour is Elf, which is like a white grey kind of mm-hmm. neutrally colour. And I'm going to match that with one of Owl's kind of blue colours, which is Cerulean. Cerulean? Mm-hmm. So there's going to be magical white horses across a frosty background. <sighs> I'm very excited about that. I can tell. Yeah, I feel like, because it was the autumn equinox quite recently. It was. So this is when all the knits converge in balance. The knitting planets have aligned. <laughs> autumn knits are coming into season. Yes. And the, the knitting gods have decided to smile upon us. 
Yeah, and we're in a good zone. We hope you guys are too. Yeah. So next up, we have news and reviews. Those guys rhyme. So <laughs> we had the Great London Young Crawl quite recently, where uh, we're exhibiting as a little pom-pom booth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so the Great London Yarn Crawl is, of course, a yarn crawl that happens in London. And this was the first year that it included a kind of pop-up marketplace, mm-hmm. which is very fun, and that's where we had our stand. And uh, in addition to just being, like, a really fun thing that involves knitting, I mean, there's nothing more fun than fun things True. that involve knitting. True, so. um, The Great London Yarn Crawl also raised over a thousand pounds for um their charity partner which was refuge but we have an exact amount sophie what is that one thousand three hundred and two pounds so good so <laughs> two tiny people <laughs> clapping in a room <laughs> um which of course is wonderful and um also people donated 141 hand knits um of various shapes and sizes for knit for peace which is great it's no small thing no small thing at all and but there were small things for, for tiny children anyway. tiny tiny things um and the the marketplace itself was really lovely there was such a nice atmosphere and it was in a very beautiful location chelsea old town hall which was a bit like standing around in a museum all day yeah they had an interesting kind of murals on the walls of like notable uh english people i mean henry the eighth he was <laughs> staring at me actually all day so <laughs> <Sell> that wall <laughs> it's like you should be my seventh wife <laughs> Six wife. Yeah, I was just thinking Henry VIII had six wives. I was like, no, he had eight wives. And I was no, like, no. that's the eighth thing. Yes, oh, dear. Confusing. Embarrassing. Awkward. Um, okay. Yeah, so it was really fun. And, um, oh, and one of the most fun anecdotes from the weekend is, of course, that, um, I mean, people came from far and wide. Mm-hmm. I think you'll agree. And uh, the person who won the door prize, which is quite a prize, um, had come all the way from Sweden. So there you go. If you guys are thinking... I'd love to join in with a yarn crawl in London. You can come all the way from Sweden and you can get involved and make a weekend of it because I know a lot of people came from all over the world, mm-hmm. all over England even. It's a small world. Yeah. As they say. It's a small world when you've got knitting involved. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, if you didn't get to join in this time, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Um, so that was lovely, of course. And thanks again to Alice and Rachel who organised it. Thanks to all you yarn crawlers who came and said hi and hello. Yeah. Exactly. Both was, those forms. Yeah. <laughs> it was wonderful. Um, and in other news, we recently shot our upcoming issue. Ooh. Ooh. And we obviously won't be saying too much about that right now. Um, but uh, I feel like sparkle. That's a, a good strong word. theme. Sequins. Sequins. Drama. Yes. Intrigue. Ooh. Uh, luxury. <laughs> now also we've got, well... Coming up, I was going to say, but it's in that awkward period of time where we're caught in the past and future tense when we're t- talking about mm. stuff for you. A time warp. Time warp. Wormhole. Again. Um, so coming up for us is Yarndale this weekend. Indeedy. 26th, 27th September. But by the time this podcast has gone out, people have been. They will. It I hope will have happened. So I guess all we can really say is that it's our first year at Yarndale. We're very excited about it. Um, looking forward to it and we hope that by the time this podcast airs some of you who are listening to this podcast will be thinking oh Yarndale was so fun I'm really glad I got to go to the pom-pom stand and say hi to people that's what we hope has happened and if not people will be like god Yarndale sounds great I'm definitely going to check that out next year yeah and as we said small world come for the weekend why not you can go wrong Yorkshire very beautiful land of my birth so there we go so obviously beautiful because Sophie (laughs) comes from there so, if you're not uh, UK-based, or maybe you are and you want to make the trip, very exciting. Rhinebeck is coming up October 17th and 18th, which is uh, based in uh, New York. But not New York City, it's New York. Kind New of York sta- State. Apparently New York is a state as well as yeah. a city. New York, New York. Confusing. And uh, we are very proud and pleased and delighted, many exuberant adjectives, to be the first magazine to exhibit with uh, Merit Bookstore at Rhinebeck, the New York Sheep and Wool Festival, as it's also known. And we're going to present our latest issues. And if you come along, you'll have the opportunity to meet uh, some of the designers from the upcoming issue, the winter issue. Can we name drop? Go on then. We've got Rich Coopy. <gasps> Yoki Locatelli. Yes. Uh, Olga Jazzy, but I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her second name. That's okay. She's Olga Jazzy to us. Yeah. And who else? Kiyomi Bergen, Bristol Ivy. Just... Some others, some surprises, brilliant, some wild cards you might throw in. There, you know? <laughs> and uh, in addition to that, um, well, I mean, sort of exciting star lineup, mm-hmm. we also will have surprises for people who actually come to the booth. 
um, so you can keep an ear out for more information on that. And there'll also be, you know, the kind of standard trunk show situation. Check out, try stuff on, be like, oh, this yarn's nice, I'm going to knit some of this. And why wouldn't you? So there we go. Exactly. So that's our our news. Lots of shows. It's like show news time. Yeah, right. But we've also got reviews. And uh, this review, uh, because we're sponsored by the lovely Blacker Yarns, they sent us a little sample of their 10th birthday yarn, Cornish Tin. Fab. If you're a, uh, a mill, you celebrate with wool. You of know. course you do. So Sophie uh, was lucky enough to be the um, Pomcast broadcaster who was selected. Um, we drew straws to um, <laughs> to knit the sample from the Cornish tin yarn. Um, Sophie, give me your overall impressions of the yarn. Initially, when I was winding this yarn, mm-hmm. because I like to hand wind, because I feel that's part of the excitement of starting to knit, and you get experience of like how the yarn's going to handle yep. and the feel. Yep. Definitely, it struck me I've had the crispness, and also mm. when I started knitting with it, it's almost that sticky quality when you not an unpleasant sort of thing, but the yarn has that kind of grab and that nice kind of texture when yep. you're knitting with it. You know, it's going to hold its shape, and it's got that nice kind of definition. Mm-hmm. It's definitely my the strongest first impressions I had when working with this. Okay. And having worked with it, does that impression remain? Yes, it's stuck. <laughs> yeah, I did a bit of gas stitch, did a bit of lace, did a bit of moss stitch and everything. Just kind of playing with some textured yarns. It really does kind of hold its shape mm. quite nicely. And the lace is quite defined even before any blocking. And then with yeah. this yarn, you, it's one of those that um, really blooms. Like blacker, I think, are very good at what's creating what we know as the woolly wool. The woolly wool. Um, and also within that, I think those kind of true wools, they kind of... They show a lot of their intrinsic quality of the wool. It kind of comes through when you block it, and after working with it, that kind of changes yeah. the handle and the kind of the the halo of the wool. So that's that's it's one very of those pretty. the interesting qualities of that. Very very pretty, and um, I mean, not only is it their tenth birthday yarn, but they used ten fibers of the highest quality, I believe. Thank you. Indeed. So spun into this very yarn. Can you sense all ten of them? I can. I can sense. It was just I didn't even read that anywhere. It just felt like a ten. So should we quickly uh, run through the ten that we've got? Indeed, you have Gotland. Falklands Merino. Alpaca. Mohair. Jacob. Shetland. English Merino. Gotland slash Romney Cross. Texel. And Black Welsh Mountain. Sounds like we just threw in some wildcard names there. That's (laughs) uh, that's the blend that they've chosen, which is, you know, important to blacker. Um, Also, like, just nice fibres that they love. Yeah. Um, Also very representative of the the breeds that they want to kind of champion, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, those ten together make a beautiful blend. So we have to offer the stop press news, which I think they've actually sold out of these batches of yarn already. Because it was a special kind of limited edition yeah, thing. Yeah, to celebrate their birthday, they've just done this sort of one-off batch. But if you are going to slash been to Yarndale, mm. again, we're stuck in that kind of past, present tense, mm-hmm. future tense of recording the podcast... You might have got some there, so... So lucky you if you've got some. Um, But um, fear not, because even if there's no lovely Cornish tin uh, available for you to buy, Blacker have all sorts of gorgeous British yarns for you to check out. Many of which are sticky, many of which are fluffy. (laughs) You know, they have many qualities and um, pom-pom quarterly readers get a 10% discount, as we mentioned. And Yes, as long as you're both a listener and reader, you get a 10% uh, discount which you can find the code for in the ad artwork in the magazine. So go ahead and have a look. And it's worth just reading about the creation of this yarn. Yeah, it's interesting. They, they've named all their colours, so the little sort of capsule collection of their colours are all named after Cornish mines. Mm. And they photographed, um, you can see there on their blog and also on Ravelry, they photographed all the colours alongside Cornish mineral samples from a collection at the Royal Cornwall Museum in Truro. That's great. Sounds pretty cool. Just taking the theme through to its logical conclusion. running with it, I think. Why not? So if you were lucky enough to get some of this yarn, um, there are, of course, some free patterns available to go with it. And even if you're not lucky enough to get the yarn, there's free patterns to go with it. Lovely free patterns, including the Cornish tin hat, um, Azurite mittens, and shale hat, all of which you will find links to on our blog Mm -hmm. and, of course, through the Blacker website. And uh, even if you didn't get this yarn. I feel these patterns, you know, substitute, guys. Yeah. The, yeah one of them uses the Gotland DK as well, the uh, Azurite Mittens, which I think uses the uh, good stickiness of this for the uh, Fair Isle colour work. So uh, thanks again to Blacker for lending that little sample to us. And yeah, thanks for sponsoring the podcast. 
interview this podcast is with Emily Foden. Uh, we've talked a lot about Emily and her yarns over the numerous podcasts because we're big fans. She's worked with John Arben. You may know her from before that when she was a dyer as Viola. Yep, yep. She was kind of a cult famous dyer. Oh, yeah. Known for kind of subtle colours with speckles. Splodges, yeah. Speckles and splodges. Um, and yeah, we got her on the podcast for a nice little chat. Um, but before we start... We have to do a quick disclaimer. We recorded this podcast in the lovely environment of Sophie's flat. Um, and Sophie's flat has a lovely skylight. It's not as exotic as it sounds. <laughs> but of course, as we are in beautiful, rainy England, uh, it rained. And the rain made a lovely kind of tent caravan sort of style sound. And also my fridge made a little bit of noise. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't want me to have sour milk, guys. <laughs> so... Um, just imagine yourself sat on the sofa with us. Yeah, we're scoot over, we made room for you. And then for the kind of, you know, the sort of homey noises in the background. Um, and we can assure you that it doesn't detract in any way from the um, wonderful interview that we have for you. Hi, uh, we're joined today by Emily Foden. You may know her better as the diet behind Viola. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Emily. Hi. Thanks for having me. Okay, we're going to start with Pomcast classic question. Your earliest memories of knitting and who taught you to knit? All right. Um, my earliest memories of knitting. I think this happens in stages. I'm pretty sure one of my grandmothers taught me when I was way too young. And mm. uh, I remember being frustrated. That's, that's the earliest knitting memory. Um, both of my grandmas were really, really great knitters. But I think in the end, my mum taught me to knit. I was probably like eight and we went to some big craft superstore and bought primary color variegated yarn. <laughs> it did have purple in it, I remember, because that was the best part of it. Yeah. And I knit a giant, not giant, a moderate size rectangle. Um, I'm making a gesture with my hands. It's a moderate size gesture, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Which was then folded in half and sewn up the sides to make a ludicrous hat. And I put two tassels on the two corners and gave it to my best friend at the time, who actually wore it for a really long time. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So that was it. And then I dropped it for a while before I actually got into knitting. Yeah. And uh, when did you actually get into knitting? That was sort of by accident. Bec hmm. Okay, that was probably when I was in high school, so maybe about 16. And I wandered past a knitting store that looked um, inviting and remembered that I had made the stupid hat and decided You want to make to another one, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I did want to make another one. I saw even crazier variegated yarn and I went for that and it was thick and thin and it was mohair and it was so dumb and I knit it into another rectangle that never became a hat. Okay. But um, from then I learned about knitting nice things and then, then it, yeah, just carried on. So you actually spent some time working at a yarn shop, which mm -hmm. is kind of how you're interested in dyeing started, is that right? It is. Tell us a little bit more about that. All right. Well, actually, the yarn shop where I got the crazy uh, second hat yarn um, is the one I worked in for a while. So, and I just kind of wandered in and asked for a job, and that all happened rather quickly and organically. And sort of, I was surprised one day to wake up and realize I worked in a yarn shop and just kept buying yarn and realized there was also a problem to deal with because there is no space anymore in my room because it was all full of yarn. Um, but yeah, I also quickly realized that I couldn't really buy the colors I wanted to buy. And I always want to try everything too. So I went out and got all the bits and then started dyeing yarn. Just for fun though, really. And then it kind of took off. It yeah. did, yeah. I would bring, I would, I would bring in lots of stuff that I had dyed, and the regular customers would ooh and ah over it and buy it. And uh, it happened pretty quickly. It was just sort of like overnight, all of a sudden, more people wanted to buy it, <laughs> and and then I realized I had to make more. <laughs> so that was fun. So um, obviously, you are and were a very successful dyer. Um, what would you say interests you the most about dyeing? Um, hmm. I think, oh, no, that's an easy question, actually. It's just the colors. I, it's what made me start out dying was wanting to experiment and see, see exactly what I could make. Um, also curiosity about, uh, 
how people were dyeing yarn that I liked and how they might have gone about doing it. I of course never ended up copying the things that I thought I liked because along the way I would come up with some really exciting new thing that I wanted to try and go off on a tangent. Um, so mainly it was, well that's a weird answer, it was experimenting with the colors. The way that I dye, I like to add layers of things really, really slowly. It takes me ages and I kind of stand there scratching my head for a really long time going, this section of the pot needs a little more pink right now. Oh, that was too much pink. Okay, now I'm going to put in some of this over here. <laughs> and um, it kind of just happens like that every time. So, but what kind of background do you have to sort of make that choice? Do you think it's just very instinctive, your colour theory, or where does that come from? I think it is. I certainly never studied colour theory. I should have gone to art school, but I did not go to art school. <laughs> I learned that afterwards, that I went to the wrong university, but um, it yeah, it's just what I like. Uh, I always have a pretty clear idea of what I like. Usually it's only when I see it, so that's why it sometimes takes me a long time to get there, because I have to experiment, but once I see it then I go, okay, that's right, Whoop, here you go. And someone else likes it as well, so there you go. Well, so far I've been yeah. very lucky. <laughs> Okay, so I mean, I also didn't go to art school and kind of wish I had. I studied linguistics, as everybody who knows anything about pom pom probably knows, because I talk about it all the time. Um, so you mentioned that you didn't go to art school, and what? Where did you go, and what did you study? Well, I studied um, at U of T, big, big university in Toronto. I chose it because it's the oldest, and the buildings are the prettiest, which is probably not the best way to choose a university. Um, but I chose to study there archaeology and Celtic studies. Again, I chose to learn Irish Gaelic having no connection to the Irish culture. I don't remember much of it. I can say Ismesha Emily and and I can greet people. Dia he is God to you. That's how you say that. <laughs> hey, God to you. Um, yeah, so I actually didn't finish because I was just not enjoying the it's a massive university and my classes were like thousands of people and um that just really wasn't for me so I think I did two and a half years and realized maybe not so much in the academia world mm. um but I really I really enjoyed the Celtic studies course because it was smaller and it was in a like a small college and we had um really, really fab people as instructors, and I did learn some really great things. And I've been to Ireland, and I've explored and seen the stuff. I love Ireland, but um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it was just a funny old thing that I did that didn't work out. <laughs> okay, so uh, you've done a good track record of like not planning things and then- Yeah, then... so I don't mind if there's one thing that goes a little bit awry. I was still figuring stuff out then. <laughs> um, what was I gonna ask? Oh yeah, if people aren't familiar with your yarn and your sort of colours that you create, how would you go about describing, not the colours, but the sort of, if you were to sum up the, the way your yarn kind of, what it evokes, the feeling kind of thing? Hmm, like, I guess what it does to me, what it reminds me of is usually nature. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I think I get most of my inspiration from, is looking at the lake next to where I live and walking through the woods and all of these things that inspire everybody but I think the, the what I love about all those colors is that nothing is solid at all and if you look closely there are always hundreds of different colors in a leaf or you know under your foot or wherever you look and uh, it's the sort of the way that they interact with each other from a distance might look like one color but they're actually not and there's so much more going on so I like I like that it can be a different experience depending on where you are and how you're looking at it. And I think usually that ends up in the yarn, even if I'm not consciously trying to put it there. Beautiful. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Lydia? Yeah, I think that was a, a very good assessment. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> of your own thing. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so speaking of nature slash countryside, this is me seamlessly moving into your time at John Arbor. Excellent Arvin. segue. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you're over in the UK now, obviously, because we're chatting to you, but uh, yeah, you had a little uh, UK adventure. Tell us how that started. That was another thing that I didn't really plan so much, just like the yarn dyeing. I guess I'm not very good at planning. <laughs> um, but I was chugging along with Fiola, and it was fabulous, and 
loads of fun and successful, but it sort of got to, I wasn't prepared really for uh, just how quickly it grew. And it reached a point where I think I needed to just take a step back and, um, and have a little adventure. So it was really through just casually mentioning uh, that I, I wanted to live in England for a little while that C from the Uncommon Thread mm-hmm. suggested I get in touch with John and Juliet and she said, I know they have a mill in the countryside and maybe they would have some space. So I emailed John, no, I emailed Juliet and she answered me within the same day saying, oh yes, someone's leaving in a month. When can you be here? And they were just completely welcoming and hospitable and generous and lovely from the, from that first email and forever. So it all fell into place very easily. And I think from that moment, I was probably in England within a month of the first email. I got the visa and did all the stuff and packed my suitcase. Packing my suitcase was the most traumatic thing because I had planned to bring my entire stash. And then I realized I couldn't bring that with all of my wardrobe as well. And I only ended up bringing one pair of socks. Oh my goodness, I'm wearing them now! Oh, that's beautiful! (laughs) I didn't even realize that! So yes, this was the only knitting project and the only yarn I brought to England and I finished them here and I started them in Canada. Oh. Yeah. And what was it that made you think that you'd like to move to England in the first place? Did you have some kind of family connection or was it just, I don't know, some kind of idea of it? A whimsical notion? Yeah. (laughs) It was mostly a whimsical notion, yes. I I think most of the things I do are just a bit of a spur of the moment Autobiography title, you can do that. (laughs) A whimsical notion. Yeah. It, It was really. I had always enjoyed... British culture. I I know my family's British from a ways back. I think it's my great grandparents. So some some more British traditions hung on in my family, but we're pretty Canadian really. My dad is a, is like a lumberjack. Uh, so I just knew that I knew I would like it here. I'd been to only London once before. Um, but I just felt up for an adventure. Mm. And it was my top choice. I don't know if I could give you a better reason. I just wanted to come. That's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, while you were working with John and Juliet uh, in the mill, um, you developed a yarn with them. I know. What was the process? How was that process? And, and when you left and started dying again, did you feel like you had... This is two different questions, sorry. Did you feel like you had a kind of new understanding of yarn and how to dye it, or were they two quite separate experiences? Ah, uh, well... I definitely had a new understanding of yarn. I I went to the mill hoping to learn more about how yarn is made, about breeds of sheep and all of this business that is so lovely and interesting to me. And But I didn't even know what I was in store for. John is so, so, so smart. He, like, I learned so much more than I ever would have thought. Of, and learned that I could even operate giant scary machines. <laughs> I'm scared of sewing machines, but I managed to do this. So. Uh, I'm finding it's helping me a lot now that I've returned to dyeing and um, I know a lot more about the yarn that I'm dyeing and I understand why it is taking color a certain way and why this one is different and I also have have a much better understanding of what to ask for from Mm -hmm. my suppliers so that's just invaluable I can't even say how wonderful that knowledge is And as for developing the colors with him, that started pretty early on in my experience there. So I was, I was still learning a lot about the way the mill worked and the way he made yarn, but I I got the gist and he pretty much just handed me all the different colored tops that he had in the mill, um, and some hand carters and put me in a little room and said, here you go. Actually, in the beginning it wasn't. I was just sitting down next to the draw box in the middle of the noisy mill, cross-legged on the floor, making little tiny tufts of blended color and then taping them in a book. And that was it. So yeah, and that's that's how I've done it um, with the new batch of colors too. And if you want to learn more about Emily's adventures, Wool Based Fun in Devon with John Arben, there's a fantastic article in a really lovely knitting magazine, uh, Pom Pom Issue 5, there's an article by you. There is indeed. And uh, the most recent issue, our wool issue, has uh, an article all about John, Julia, and the mill. So we're obviously very big fans of yours, yeah. <laughs> you know. As am, well, I'm a big fan of theirs, most definitely. Yeah. I want, I want them to be my aunt and uncle. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you thought they must be your, like, yeah. They're, they're my, Adoptive, they're kind of like yeah. my second parents and some of my best friends in the world. Oh, I'm so lucky. So, uh, so it's just started raining. So the lovely kind of pitter patter you can hear in the background is the rain gently falling on Sophie's skylight here in her flat. We like to make an atmosphere, and it sounds really fancy when you say skylight. It's not as fancy. As it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty fancy rain. Put it that way. So, um, we just so wanted to make an authentic London experience for Emily. So we did some like you know grey rain, kind of cozy inside. <laughs> I'm appreciating. Yeah, it. yeah. You're currently back in Canada. Yes. And dying again which i think we're excited about i know a lot of other knitters oh, are yay. <laughs> um are you setting up a little studio i am indeed so how's that going uh, it's really exciting um it's a whole new experience for me considering i know nothing about building and renovations especially with old buildings and in canada this is such an old building it's in a hundred year old general store in the middle of nowhere for serious we have surrounding us a lovely community of 17 people <laughs> and then never-ending farmland yeah. but the building is so beautiful it's it's barely changed at all get to cook on a wood stove and i'm getting carried away the studio is yeah. in a side shed that's attached to the building and um a lot has happened this summer there was a very exciting weekend of digging out the earth floor that existed there and had done so I think pretty much the entire time. We discovered deer bones and Pepsi cans from the 70s and somebody's gross old plastic comb and I don't even know what else. It was very cool. Uh, I loved collecting all the treasure. I might make a mobile out of it. But yeah, the floor's dug out. There's going to be, there is a concrete floor and it's all big structural things happening now, and I can't wait to get to a point where I'm, I'm putting the actual equipment and tools in, and I can start to use the space. Have you like designed it to be your perfect dive studio, pretty much? Yes. It's going to be pretty super duper, I think. Which is brilliant, because up until now, I have been dying in my parents' basement. And I know they're going to love that I'm gone more than anybody else, so... Yeah, I won't be carrying wet yarn around the the dirty laundry and, and making a mess everywhere. Are you dying bits of the dirty laundry? Does that happen by accident? Some dye spots, you know? I have, I've dyed the floor quite a lot, <laughs> right. but not the laundry. Cool. All right, so what's on your needles right now? I mean, this is very important because travel knitting is obviously a big thing we talk about as well on mm -hmm. the podcast. So what are you working on at the moment? Uh, travel knitting was really, really difficult because I'm going to be in England for a month and it was like, I can't bring enough yarn. I'm obviously going to knit five jumpers while I'm here and six pairs of socks and then I'm going to buy more yarn and knit shawls with that and then I'm obviously not going to do that. So I brought enough yarn to knit two pairs of socks. I'm, I'm on the first of four socks at the moment. It's looking pretty good. And I also brought some of the lovely yarn I dyed for Loop from the Speckled okay. Mist yeah, colorway. we spoke about the last podcast. So. Mm. Yeah, so I, I hung on to some skeins that were a little bit, the colors were a little bit wonky, and mm -hmm. I always like those ones the best. Um, so none of them really match with each other. It's not like you could just knit one to the next and it would look like you had a striped sweater. So I'm blending them in some kind of creative, mysterious mm -hmm. way that I don't actually know about yet. But it's a top-down, raglan-y kind of thing. I'm just going to make it up as I go along. So the yoke's almost done, and um, I'm trying to figure out how to get the next ball of yarn started in there. Yeah, is it too much of a jump, even if you're striping it in? I'm, I think... Yeah, it is. I started out too enthusiastically and didn't real didn't take into account the fact that I should stagger it so that anyway, this is boring. <laughs> no, I was gonna say it's interesting that even like dyers with their own yarn think, Oh, I should probably strike this, you know. Like, yeah, for sure. And I was chugging along like this is so much fun. Oh <laughs> of course. I do it every time. <laughs> every time. Okay, so um, I don't know if your enthusiasm for British culture and the fact that you spent a couple years here means that you're aware of Desert Island Discs. Oh, yes. Okay, good. So um, so we do the kind of Pomcast equivalent, which is you're stranded on a desert island and you can have one yarn with you. You're allowed to have all the colours of that yarn, but you have to choose a base that you're going to knit with forever. What would your desert island yarn be? That is such a serious question. I know. 
Oh my goodness. I even knew it was coming and I'm still getting a bit stressy <laughs> about it. Um, okay. Okay, fine. Uh, I think while it might be a little bit, I don't want to choose my own yarn. So I'm choosing one that John made. It's definitely the alpaca Polworth that he spun for me. Okay. I knit a big quill shawl out of it uh, recently and it's been too warm here to wear it, but I wish that I had my head wrapped up in it right now. It's so wonderful. The yarn was so lovely to knit with. It's like light and fluffy and warm and soft and squishy and it's pretty, it's a really light four ply, so it would be really versatile. And I'm hoping my desert island is like somewhere in Greenland and I can dye the yarn whatever color I want with like lichen and things I can forage for. So that's pretty specific, but that's, I think that's what I want. So yarn comes in quite natural shades, doesn't it? So yeah, it's, um, it's a blend of Polworth and white alpaca and brown alpaca. So before it's dyed, it's like a really soft, fawny, it's not fawn, brownie, light brown oatmeal-y color. It's pretty good undyed too. And another Pomcast question, which you probably know is coming as well, is what is your spirit animal? Yeah. This was so hard too. I even asked my family what my spirit animal was. <laughs> they gave me bad answers. Um, I think, even though I can't quantify or explain why, but I think it should be a narwhal, mm. mainly because I really love them. And I also love where they live. I wish I lived there too, in the sea. And they've got this horn, this like giant, cool, magical horn, but they don't use it for anything mean or nasty. They just float around being magical creatures in their kind of like ethereal world. Actually, just before this podcast, you've done your hair, Lemmy's done her hair up on top oh, of her yeah. head. So she's actually like channeling the narwhal horn spirit with a big ponytail I, like sticking out. There you go. I'm more like a narwhal than I thought. Because I thought, well, maybe I just wish I was like a narwhal. Maybe I'm not cool enough <laughs> to be a narwhal, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I have a wild card question. Yeah. Um, we asked Stephen West something a little bit along these lines. Oh, God, yeah, I was thinking about that question. Okay, this is a good question. If it's the same <laughs> one, if not, then we yeah. have one to back up. <laughs> so um, we asked him, have you ever met a colour you didn't like? Oh, it changes. Mm -hmm. Some It really depends on my mood. Oh, that's really hard. I think it happened recently, too. Oh, no. I've gone a bit existential now. I want to be taking you to a dark place. Yeah. <laughs> A colour that I really didn't like. Or what are you not favouring at the moment? Okay, that's easier. Oh, I, just, I just got all, like, panicky. Um, <laughs> that's what I we know. like to imbue in our guests, you know, a panic. Now it's gone again. Okay, I think I usually don't like bright royal blue. Oh, interesting. I like... Uh, I like really bright blue. I like dark purpley blue. I like any kind of dark blue. I love blue. But like a Crayola marker blue? Okay. I don't know. Is there something too kind of primary about it? It's just too like matte kind of? It could be. I think I think I often, when I see a totally solid color, I kind of like, meh, I don't know. But something about that poor blue. And the other thing is, I love primary colors all in combination. If you give me red, yellow, and blue together, yeah. I love it. Like your hat. Yeah. But then you do blue on its own, and I don't know. Interesting. But it's not like I have a real dislike for it. It's just, it's not my fave. Mm. Yeah. But do you have a favorite color now? I'm gonna ask you. Okay, well that's totally impossible. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you every color is my favorite color. Um, but at the moment, I think, no, always I really like very dark blacky brown. Oh, really? Yes. That's a, that's a surprising one. Like, I feel like if you were gonna say colors you don't like, that would be what it is. I know, was. most people would say brown. Yeah, um, I, I'm a big anti-brown missing thing. Most people are, I know, because cause I go, I, I dye the yarn, I dye my favorite weird blacky brown, yeah. and then I go, hey, I can't believe that one didn't go first. So I just dye it for myself. You're yeah. thinking like kind of raisin almost, kind of. I am thinking kind of, of like, you know, when tree trunks are wet, when it's been ah, raining. All okay. Time. And it's like a little bit black, but then there's bits of green and it's kind of shiny, silvery, and poison. When I instantly made it sound beautiful, so. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Or maybe it would just look like brown. <laughs> Brownie black is the new black guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in. <laughs> yeah, only according to me. 
Well, thank you for chatting with us, Emily. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. Discussing all about colour and everything in between. If people want to keep up to date with what you're doing and what's happening with the studio and all the lovely yarn you're dyeing, where should they go? They can find me uh, on Instagram. I am Viola Emily. And the Etsy shop is Viola Viola. And my blog is Viola and the Moon at blogspot.com. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you to Emily for being our lovely interviewee. Yeah, for finding time to talk to us. It was really lovely to have her on. And of course, we're still big fans of hers. Mm -hmm. And we look forward to seeing all the yarn that she makes in the future. So thanks, Emily. All right. So our next section is Ravelry Realness. Now, we browse Ravelry, so you don't have to. And we've delved into the gritty underworld of mature content of Ravelry. We certainly have. And so we're going to do a quick disclaimer, as you imagine, uh, or a sort of warning. Yeah. Um, if you feel like you might be uncomfortable with the mature content, or if perhaps you're around children or other people who you feel might be uncomfortable and they can hear this podcast, and you might want to just skip ahead through the next 10 minutes of the podcast. We're going to give you a time code. We're going to figure out you need to move to 52 minutes and 15 seconds. Okay, you get that, and then it will be over. It will be back to plain sailing, clean, good old knitting. Yeah, knitting without any body parts at all, we promise. But if you're as silly as us, then listen on. Hey, so here we go. There's 422 mature rated knits. That is not enough. Yeah, you think. But I browsed more knitted underwear than I ever cared to look at, so... I feel like 420... I think we can do better than that, guys. Yeah? I think if everybody listening to this podcast designs a mature thing... There's a lot of cosies in shapes. Okay. Um, but wait, so, uh, I'm sorry, you don't wear knitted underwear? Uh, no. But I can tell you, if you did want to, or you know someone particular of the male persuasion who mm -hmm. needed some, uh, Selbertrues mm -hmm. by Magritte is uh, some Selbu panties, the traditional Norwegian sort of, you know, that, mm. uh, what do you call it, feral colourwork design. Yeah. Um, very geometric, you know, that mm. star kind of thing. It has what's been described on the pattern as a trunk. So if you have a certain appendage, which needs to fit in a certain way into a undergarment, you'll find you have the perfect compartment to uh, make sure it's uh, tucked away. Yeah, finally. <laughs> well, it's good to know that that exists. Yeah, I think it'd be cosy, if not itchy. I mean, hopefully somebody will be able to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't that many projects and that's another avenue to wander down to see people i think a lot of people just a joke and i'm like and it fitted great so uh, <laughs> good for sizing there we go <laughs> what else have we got we've got a mitten project by a designer whose name is drunk girl designs okay i like this person we like already, already. <laughs> um and the name of the project is how cold is it and it, how cold is it it's an innocent question you might think uh very on Quite. the uh <laughs> sort of nippy uh <laughs> On the pattern of the mitts, it's written out, and I won't swear, but it's cold as frick, shall we say. You did swear, so <laughs> you just swore. <laughs> and the, uh, so it's done out in sort of fair art, and the, the writing's very beautiful, nice typography, very cursive, hey. being the operative word, <laughs> um, mittens. So if you feel you need to sort of be more vocal with how cold it is. Then... Perhaps you live in a place that's colder than we do, for yeah. example. I don't think it ever gets cold as frick here. Well, not really. Not really. By our standards, by our but standards. not by like. You can get the a bit world. grumpy about it, yes. but if you really want to express your feelings, do it through knitwear. And here we go. Here's um, the one that's going to be the most interesting <laughs> to dance around in terms of how we're going to describe it. Um, many of you might be familiar with this. I feel like when it first came out, it was top of the pops on Ravelry for a while. Um, it's called The Pearl Clutcher by Kayla Dykes. Um, and let's see. It is a cardigan, <laughs> which is like a jumper, but yeah, you button up the front of it, just for anyone who's unsure. It's a cardigan <laughs> with balls, says the designer, um, inspired by the Agent Provocateur cardigan from a few years ago. It which is I'm not, provocative. Oh, hey. Which I wasn't actually aware of, but um, it's a cardigan covered in, what did Sophie say? Appendages. Mm. Male appendages. And uh, there's a little fun phrase she uses. 
Sophie. Which is, hang on to your pearls, ladies. This sassy cardigan makes a statement. I don't really know what that statement is, but there you go. Wear it to the grocery store, the next PTA meeting, or the in-law's house. And I, for one, when I first saw this um, cardigan on top of the pops on Ravelry, I thought, that's just a cardigan with a Fair Isle pattern yeah, on it. Kind of crisscross design with some sort of twirling ribbon yeah, feature. I didn't realise it was a depiction, a repeated depiction, of a male event. <laughs> So there you go, Pearl Clutcher. I think she's obviously kind of playing up to the fact that people would be clutching their pearls at the thought of this. And maybe she's playing with another phrase well, in there. I have no we idea. Couldn't possibly I wouldn't say. know. Couldn't comment. But if anything, it's a good amount of colour work, which is very, you know, such a tricky thing to do. So she gets props for that. Dedication. <laughs> Dedication to the cause. Anyway, we'd like to end on a slightly more sobering high note. Mm-hmm. Um, but have a look at the mature content of Ravelry because it's funny and there's a lot of cosies for things, which is <laughs> weird anyway. <laughs> so to end with uh, a pattern called Titbits by uh, Beryl Sang. Mm-hmm. T-S-A-N-G. Interesting pronunciation I've put of that, but there we go. <laughs> so we'll uh, finish with the description that she has from this project. I went to every mastectomy boutique and medical supply store in the city. There were titties of every shape, size and skin colour, from beige to dark brown, but none were what I wanted, perky, cute and comfortable. They were too heavy, squishy or ugly. To cheer myself up, I rummaged through my stash, looking for something luxurious to knit up. Then it hit me that I could knit myself a new titty. In fact, I had so much yarn, I could knit myself a different titty for every day, week, month or year. I finished my knitted titty in an hour before a party and wore it with one of my favourite lacy underwires. When a friend, who had been following the whole titty saga, saw me, she remarked, you did a really great job. Your left breast looks almost as good as the right one. A bit lumpy, but very re- realistic. You know, I replied, it was my right breast that was moved. So there we go. You know, I think we're not going to get in the subject of all what happened to her, but to be able to use knitting for good. Yeah, to, to make provide you feel some... more comfortable. Yeah. We, well, it's just such a lovely story and you could, there's a pattern, right? So Free other people pattern, can, yeah. can use that pattern if they need to yeah so yeah that's uh that's Ravelry Realness because Ravelry is what? Fundamental Last in the uh, Pomcast lineup, as always, is our top three. And um, last episode, we had top three Netflix, mm-hmm. which is stuff to watch on Netflix while you're knitting. You can see how we came very clumsily to this name that we just threw together. Netflix. But it worked. And it you guys worked. loved it as well. So we're very happy about that. We certainly are. So um, after our our top threes... We asked people to let us know what their favourite Netflix or suggestions for mm-hmm. us to watch. Because, I mean, the more you watch, the more you need. Because True. you run out of things. True. You know? So, um, Anna Stratton, and I have to say her name is pronounced Anna, not Anna. So, I got that right. Mm-hmm. Thanks for telling us how to pronounce that. Uh, <laughs> who's Mech Mama on Ravelry. Uh, and she said, uh, The Office used to be her all-time favourite show, but it tied for the top spot with Peep Show, mm-hmm. which is also on Netflix, mm-hmm. and it's British. And she said, seriously, I was waiting for you guys to mention it. Um, thanks for reminding us, because I couldn't believe that we'd forgotten it as well, because I love I love Peep Show. What I, about you? I do love Peep Show. I still think I prefer The Office. Oh, okay. But I still love Peep Show. Peep Show is very funny. It is, it is amazingly cringy. Okay, true. So also, uh, Sam and Bat, which is a great Ravelry name, <laughs> uh, she said, if you like The Office, you should watch Parks and Recreation. And I'll tell you, Sam and that. That I have, and I like it. It's real good. Um, it's not actually on British Netflix, but when I was in America, I watched some of it. I know that Megan Fernandez, yeah. the wonderful co-editor, co-founder and co-editor of Pom Pom, she is a Parks and Rec fan. So there we go. Cool. Parks and Rec, is that what cool people talk, call it? Because I said recreation. You're only allowed to say Parks and Rec if you've watched it. Uh, well, I think I saw a clip, so yeah. No, you can't. Anyway, I like that Simon said thing. I think I might be too excited about Netflix, but it's good because I'm excited about Netflix. I'm glad you guys are as well. <laughs> um, Inez versus the Wolves said uh, you should try Elementary, which is Sherlock Holmes in modern times. Lucy Liu plays Watson. What? Progressive. <laughs> um, and yeah, she's also seen Archer is good as well. Great. So there we go. We, Archer's getting very popular. It is. And uh, we also have Nikki Hippie, who said that she has been watching House 
I haven't watched House, but my mother loves it. There we go. So that's one for, for you one guys. One for the mums. <laughs> one for the mums. And um, she also says that when they don't fancy watching House, they watch, and this is in capitals, all the David Attenborough. Apparently Frozen Planet is the best. I think that's fairly... I mean, does anyone not like David Attenborough? Everybody loves David Attenborough, I mean... But I mean, you think that. You say, you make broad sweeping... Sta- I mean, I make broad sweeping statements like that. And then you meet people who, oh, I don't know, for example, don't like popcorn. Okay, so I don't like popcorn. <laughs> you Unbelievable! Like, See, I feel like David Attenborough is uh, like popcorn. Everyone likes him. Okay, well, this leads us nicely onto our top three subject, which is top three pet peeves, which has been suggested by Arohanets. Thank and you. I thought, thank you, yeah. <laughs> I thought this was a really good one, because I think pet peeves, although they can be ridiculous, I think within the ridiculousness, there is hilarity. Yes, because... and and. Uh, when we started making this list, I had to make sure that they were just peeves and not just general moral outrage because peeves consist have to be, I think, things which are unreasonable. Yes, that almost like you can't explain why it isn't... It just annoys you. Yeah. Whereas, for example, I get annoyed when people don't offer their seats to uh, people who are less able to stand than themselves. Yeah. But that's like a legitimate thing to be annoyed about. That's like a moral standard, like a moral code that everyone should be. Yeah. You know, I'm just to. a good person. I can't help it. You know, it just comes easily to me. Um, whereas pet peeves are more about just like random stuff that rubs you up the wrong way. Yep. And I thought uh, we, I thought we were both pretty easy going, kind of happy knitting lucky, folk. Yeah. So. I found it a bit hard at first, but then once you start thinking about it, it opens the floodgates. It opens a can of peeve worms. <laughs> Mushy peeve worms. <laughs> yeah. So, what have you got for your peeves? Well, okay, so my peeves are as follows. At number three, mm-hmm. um, we have... I specifically dislike disingenuous radio DJs. <laughs> That's very specific to... Yeah, I mean, okay, so what I'm talking about is, so uh, a lot of radio DJs have people call their show, mm-hmm. for example, um, maybe to discuss a particular topic, maybe to request a song, do a shout out, all sorts of things. And um, it during the interaction, the radio DJ talks to yeah. the caller. And I just don't like it when the DJ just seems like really disinterested, can't be bothered, you know, and it, I just think... It's their job. Their whole job is to, like, be nice to people. They Do you think don't... it's not like their stick? That's just the way they are. So if you don't defend them. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I also feel like it's unfair because, I don't know about you, but when I used to call radio stations, you used to call radio stations, right? Well, I've done it once and I won a t-shirt, which was brilliant. I still you wear it. You still wear it, still exactly. Wear it. So for the radio DJ, it's just their normal job. But they have to understand... That for the people calling it, it's a big deal. They might be a big fan of that DJ. They might be doing a shout out for someone they really care about, you know. And I feel like when the radio DJ is just like, oh, yeah, great. It just, I just really feel like it's disrespectful. All right. Well, okay. I can maybe understand that. But I think you should have personal peeve. Okay, fine. So number two. So you don't think I should try and get a law passed? (laughs) Not not yet. Just yet. So at number two, um, I have... The sound of cutlery against teeth. What? So one of my pet peeves is when people are eating and they knock cutlery against their teeth. Surely that's an inherent... That always happens. No. No. I don't do it. <laughs> okay? I would notice. And when other people do it, it sounds like this. Something like that. That's horrible. Right? It's horrible. I'm and so glad we've got dinner after this. <laughs> you can just eat really far away from... I don't know. Maybe you do knock your... I think I have good table manners, but maybe not. I don't know. You know what most people do is what I've noticed Mm. because with pet peeves, they're the sort of thing that it's not a big deal. No one cares. But as soon as you start to notice it, it becomes this like huge kind of wormhole of brain space where you can't, as soon as it starts to happen, you're just like, you can't function anymore. Um, So I know that it's completely unreasonable, but I just find it. It makes it a peeve. (laughs) It's a real peeve of mine. What about number one? Number one, okay. So this is sort of domestic peeve. Okay. Um, which is, I um, find it very slovenly and unappealing. Wow, strong words. Two, leave your cutlery to dry horizontally on the draining board. <laughs> okay? Like, 
I just, I mean, so the way I see it, guys, the way I see it, guys, Lydia's is corner, Lydia's thinking corner, is if you got it together enough to buy cutlery to feed yourself with, then presumably you got it together enough to buy like a sort of cutlery draining device of some kind. Either it's built into your plate draining device. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Or it's a separate but necessary part of your draining equipment. And I feel that when you lie cutlery down horizontally, it doesn't dry properly because water gets trapped underneath it. And You've I just don't understand. I have. It really bothers me. It bothers me more than when people leave food in the sink. That's also not... Well, this is a... You've, you've got like a one and a half now. <laughs> well, no, okay, no. The food in the sink, I was just... That was... I feel like most people do get annoyed when there's food left in the sink, whereas I feel like the cutlery thing is more of a preference that I choose to turn into anger. Okay. Interesting. Interesting the way you deal with that then. Yeah, I just... I think it's strange and bad. All right. Well, fair enough. You said your piece. <sighs> Glad I got that off my chest. <laughs> so, Sophie... Um, what are your three pet peeves? Um, I've realised how ridiculous they are. So here we go. <laughs> uh, number three is fan noise that you get when you have an extra... When you're very famous and no. people are going, Sophie! Sophie! <laughs> Sign this for me! That never happens. Um, so fan noise when you have an extractor fan in a bathroom. Mm. You switch it on. Switch the light on, the extractor fan noise happens because it's yes. maybe it doesn't have windows or whatever. Yes. But then the noise continues after you switch the light off and it makes that really annoying just backward background hum. You know, Sophie, some people use fans to help them sleep. I'm not one of those people. And even before like this pet peeve discussion, I was talking to my sister about the fact that the place where I live, it has this extractor fan and the bathroom's next to the bedroom so the extractor fan always makes a noise and she's like, oh my god, you hate that! And I was like, yes, thank you. She knows you so well. I've actually been in places like staying over places with her and it has like some sort of air conditioning fan mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be hot than have the noise of the fan. That's how extreme my hatred is, which is very irrational. And <laughs> so there we go. Fan Pet peeve number three. Okay, great. Number yeah. two... Curtains being open or closed at the inappropriate times of the day. <laughs> so, oh, Sophie! It makes me sad if I walk past somewhere and the curtains aren't open. I was like, "What's happening in that house?" You know, open the curtains, start the day. It sort of wakes up the house and you. Mm-hmm. And then, likewise, if you're at the end of the day, house goes to bed. You kind of close all the curtains, get it sorted. We're in the room now and the blind's not closed. I'm not going to say anything, but it was kind of getting me annoyed. It's like being on TV, isn't it, when the, <laughs> when the lights are on in your windows? I mean, I used to work in a curtain shop. I don't think that's anything to do with it, but uh, sure. my curtain-based sensibilities were cute. That's, that's okay, okay. So that's, that's my pet, pet peeve, right, yeah. curtain-based. I, I accept your pet peeve. All right, number one is people getting song lyrics wrong. <laughs> how dare they? How, d- how dare they? I know this is ridiculous because people should just be able to enjoy music however they yes. need to and it's not necessary to know the lyrics. Mm-hmm. But I feel it's just... I've noticed like it's part of my my memory setup. I know people find it easier to remember uh, whizzed songs. Yeah. But I think particularly with my... Yeah. The you have I, a good word brain. You have a remarkable... It's true, you do have a remarkable memory for lyrics. Song lyrics. So I don't know why, but it finds... I just find it very irritating when people don't get it wrong why aren't you as clever as I am oh it's not that but you know when you spend hours reading enemy and looking at the insights of CD (laughs) so what about what about like hilarious uh, ones like my lover's got no money he's got his trampoline I love appropriated lyrics I love doing stupid changing of songs yes but that's um, deliberate rather that's than deliberate. just oh, okay. I love a, a Christmas carol which is changed to a stupid you know if you've got like one yeah. in a taxi one in a car love that one yeah. in a scooter blowing his hooper smoking a big cigar I'm all for that but getting intrinsic song lyrics I think because I'm quite like a geeky kind of sound person sometimes mm-hmm. and I'm like oh I love that band and I know all the words which I think I just naturally so do. does it feel like people are being disrespectful to your Possibly. band you wouldn't quote Shakespeare <laughs> To be or not to see? Yeah, exactly. That is the question. You see, if that was a lyric, I'd be like, no, we got it wrong. And I know it's stupid. Uh, so there we go. That's my pet peeve. <laughs> wow. Well, we opened the floodgates there for us. Usually we suggest at the end, be like, oh, guys, maybe you've got uh, your own top threes. Um, 
We don't want to create any... Do we want to do that? Do we want to make, like, a negative vortex in the Ravelry group? I found yours really funny. I think you found mine funny as well. I hope people find these kind of, like, hope so silly. So maybe it's a good place to rant, being like, oh, this is really silly, but... But be careful with it, because we don't want to offend anybody. No. There's a difference between a pet peeve and just... Having a rant. Kind of being mean and having a rant. So don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) So, well, maybe we should end on that note, because it's the end of the podcast. It certainly is. Um... So, uh, I was thinking, like, maybe we could round up with me, me as a disingenuous DJ. Um, Go ahead. Just, you know, I thought maybe you'd like to, I'll, I'll ask you a few questions, maybe about how people can get in touch. How does that sound? Oh, that's great. Oh, thanks for having me on the, the show. Yeah, no, great. Yeah, it's, it's a real, uh, it's a real pleasure. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was your name? Sophie. Hi, Sophie. I'm Hi. a big fan. Oh, oh, good. Great. Great. Um... So, Sophie, if people who've been listening to this podcast, I mean, yeah, millions of people listen, um, if they want to get in touch, for example, like you did, how, how can they do that? They can go on the Ravelry forum, there's the Pom yeah. Pom group, <laughs> or there's an uh, email address, podcast at pompommag.com. That's that's great. Thank, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's the pause that does it. There. Yeah, awesome. That was that was um, perfect. Great, pretty good. So, um, is there anything else you'd like to say, Sophie, to um, to me or to the listeners? Can I give a shout out to all the pom pom listeners? Woo, pom pom. Great, great, great. <laughs> Stop it! I don't like it. <laughs> and so, from one disingenuous DJ and one excited listener to you, our Pomcast. Uh, devotees is that too far our pomcats our pomcats we say thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show thanks we love you bye pomcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott lots of help from Eli Block who created the original music for this show for more Eli related music go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com Big thanks to Megan, the co-founder and editor of Pom Pom, and just all-round great gal, um, and to our interviewee, Emily Foden, who is also the dyer behind Viola. Thank you to her. And of course, to Blackie Yarns for sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget about their 10% discount code, which can be found in Pom Pom Quarterly, issue 14. And of course, we'd like to say a big thank you to all you Pom Pom buyers, subscribers, and listeners. Send any feedback or suggestions to podcast at pompommag.com and don't forget to join our thread on the Pom Pom Ravelry group.